Last Friday, which was December 9th, the Wall Street Journal's editorial board published an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, which talked about that $80 trillion in foreign exchange derivatives the BIS suddenly discovered last week in these bank footnotes all over the world, U.S. dollar denominated, of course, which suggested very strongly that there's a lot more going on in the monetary system than you've ever been told. And of course, the Wall Street Journal, we're talking about $80 trillion, so it's a huge number. We're talking about derivatives, so it's a very sexy topic. I mean, what did Warren Buffett once describe these things as? Weapons of mass destruction or something like that. So of course, they're going to have the usual hyperbolic spin on it. After all, what else can we expect in this type of situation? But there was there was some serious discussion, some of it good, quite a lot of it not so good, that represented the incremental slow progress of the mainstream trying to come to grips with the way monetary system works isn't the way that we've all been told. And what we've all been told, of course, is the Federal Reserve, the government controls the money supply, but yet we've got this $80 trillion offshore in footnotes that nobody has been taking, nobody's been regulating, monitoring, or anything Something else must be going on here. But true to form, the Wall Street Journal very easily, very quickly goes into its training. What we're all told from the very beginning, low interest rates, easy money. So here's how the article ends. And we'll talk about the rest of the article, both the good parts and bad parts in a moment. But first, the article ends with this sentence. Perhaps we'll all get lucky and this Forex swap bomb won't detonate. I mean, ridiculous already. But it's dangerous for the Fed to keep counting on luck when its easy money policies create new financial risks. Oh, I mean, oh, it makes you want to just, it's such lazy analysis, easy money. So how does the Wall Street Journal connect this 80 trillion with the powerful, all powerful monetary policies of the Fed? It's easy money policies of the QE era. Don't these people ever do the math? The answer is no. They, they leave it to shorthand. And really, I mean, interestingly enough, on Friday, the same day as this article came out in the Wall Street Journal, the Federal Reserve of all places published the third quarter statistics for its Z1 data series. And if you're not familiar with the Z1 data series, which is called the Financial Accounts of the United States, it used to be called Flow of Funds. But either way... It provides us with a wealth of information about all things money and financial, at least domestically. But there is a significant portion of the Z1 data that tells us a lot about what's going on holistically when referring to the entire euro dollar system. And it relates to this $80 trillion, but in the wider context that the Wall Street Journal gets completely wrong, proving without a doubt when you do the math, the opposite of easy money. The last 15 years have been tight money and all of the data, including the $80 trillion in swaps, proves the case disposit. I mean, it's completely done, over. Just do a little bit of math, a little bit of charts, and you see for sure what I'm talking about. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. If you're interested, we do all the math. We look at the details. We get into the gory details behind the Eurodollar system. We go down all of the rabbit holes at the membership site, uh, eurodollar.university. 
We can look at uh, membership opportunities, exclusive videos, classroom videos, where, again, where we go through all this stuff, as well as research, research subscriptions, like my daily briefing, which talks about all the data that, that uh, has come out recently, a little bit of a, a long note on what's going on in the markets, as well as the deep dive analysis, which as the name implies, we go deeper behind these shadow money topics and the money macro and economic consequences of all the stuff that's going on there. Eurodollar.university. Now, the Wall Street Journal article, again, as I said, some of it was good. A lot of it just left you shaking your head because when everything looks like the Fed, you have to put everything into the Fed's box, including this idea that $80 trillion in derivatives were due to easy money, when it could not have been farther from the truth. But the, let's, let's talk about the good parts of the journal, the, the small increments of progress that's being made that the BIS quarterly review revealed. The idea that, yes, there's this massive, monstrous monetary system that operates outside the United States, even though it's U.S. dollar, it is shadow money based. It is bank centered, U.S. dollar denominated outside the U.S. And here's the Wall Street Journal, at least the editorial, recognizing this part of it. They say, meanwhile, dollar denominated foreign exchange swap debts are overwhelmingly held outside the U.S. American banks and companies tend to be creditors in these arrangements, and this exacerbates the liquidity risk. As the BIS said in its quarterly review, it's one of the key reasons why there was a 2008 as well as 2020 global dollar crisis, not financial crisis, a monetary shortage, because this monetary system exists primarily outside the borders of the U.S. Doesn't matter that it's called the U.S. dollar denomination. That's not how it works. It is an offshore bank-centered system, which means banks can do all sorts of transactions that as long as another bank is willing to accept that transaction, it becomes every bit like money and credit, which is exactly what the BIS said. Now, in this arrangement, going back to the journal in the article, the Federal Reserve isn't able to act as a lender of last resort to foreign banks or other institutions that face dollar liquidity squeezes arising from their swap positions, as well as other kinds of positions, not just swaps, too. And this is a central problem the Federal Reserve has had from the very beginning. Authorities were warned back in the 60s and 70s, if something should happen in this offshore Eurodollar system, there would be nobody there to be responsible for it. But for so many decades, it didn't seem like that was a problem because recency bias, nothing bad had happened. Therefore, everybody believed nothing bad could happen. But when something bad did happen, going back to the journal, this leaves foreigners dependent on their local central bank's currency swap arrangements with the Fed to provide dollar liquidity. No, not at all. That's not how it works either. That's how it works in theory, and that's what the Fed tells you when they arrange these dollar swaps. But as we know from practice, from the very beginning, December 2007, the dollar swaps were instituted at the Fed, and we got a global monetary U.S. dollar shortage crisis anyway. And it repeated in 2020, even though these dollar swap lines are open. But the first part of that quote is valid that this euro dollar system, going back to what the authorities had been said back in the 60s and 70s, leaves a huge chunk of the system exposed with no effective backstop. In reality, 
slight digression here, the world's real lender of last resort, not the Fed, it's the repo market. But that's, that's a topic for a different day. So let's go back again to the Wall Street Journal. This appears to have been part of the panic that struck British pension funds in September, as I told you all along, that it was a euro dollar problem, not a UK problem. Now what the journals gets wrong, they said they, a sharp decline in the pound led to margin calls on Forex hedges on top of collateral calls pension, fund, pension managers faced related to their interest rate derivatives. They got that backwards. It wasn't the fact that something caused the pound decline, which triggered all of these collateral calls and margin calls related in the euro dollar system. The pound declining, the dollar going up, is the measure of euro dollar stress, which I've showed repeatedly ever since September. Think about interest rate, uh, interest rate swap spreads, for example. Those started to sink really fast, even before we got to the UK. So in other words, Major dollar shortage offshore middle of September strikes the UK particularly hard because this is a wide reaching, integrated US dollar denominated euro dollar system. And so what the good part of this Wall Street Journal article is, it is admitting that, yeah, the monetary story, there's a global system, it's US dollar. They didn't use the term euro dollar, but at least they're referring to the correct uh, context, or at least the start of the correct context, for how we should all consider the monetary system. And as, a, as one of the major implications of that, the Federal Reserve sort of left off to the side. But no, says the Wall Street, no, 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 no. The Fed isn't off to the side. The Fed is actually responsible for this mess because of, here's one more sentence from the Wall Street Journal article, a variety of factors explain this increase. This increase being the increase in these foreign exchange derivatives, tens of trillions, uh, almost 100 trillion in foreign exchange derivatives. Most of those factors tracing to the consequences of 15 years of unnaturally low interest rates around the world. No, 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 no. That's lazy, lazy, lazy analysis. And all you got to do is do the math. And it's not that hard to do it. Let's do the math really quickly. It's just simple math, nothing complicated here. We'll use all, we're always use publicly available data. I always use publicly available data in every instance that I'm able to because I want people to see for themselves exactly what I'm talking about. No black, black box model calculations. Everything is up above board. It's all available. You can mostly government sources, public sources, so you can check all the work for yourself. And we go to the BIS, the folks that started this conversation, and you look up their total Forex derivatives, which the article referred to a subset that the BIS was talking about in their quarterly review, which is different, uh, different from the data we're going to use here because they're looking at a particular part of the overall foreign exchange, which means in the context, as you'll see in a minute, that parts of this have changed. The foreign exchange derivative system has altered its composition somewhat, even though the overall position is, is well, let's do the math. So if you go to the foreign exchange derivatives, the total value, it went from 74.8 trillion in the first half of 2008 to 109.6 trillion by 2022. So that's a pretty substantial increase, which you think, well, maybe that's easy money. And even if it was greater than that, even though it was a greater, greater than that, 
it, you, when you do the math, what you see is that before 2008, the amount of the rate of change was very, very different. So 2008 represented a clear change in trend, but not toward easy money. In fact, it's the opposite. So up from 1998, when the data begins, uh, the BIS says there were 22 trillion in foreign exchange derivatives in 1998. It actually went down a little bit, dipped into the Asian financial crisis before it started rebounding. But either way, between 1998 and 2008, foreign exchange derivatives were growing at a 13% per year compounded rate. That compares to after 2008 to current of 2.7% per year. Again, that's not consistent with the idea of easy money. We had massive parabolic geometric growth up until 2008, and then slight growth, much less growth thereafter. And you could really see the difference when you put these things on a logarithmic scale because you see upward, uh, upward sloping straight line, and then it flattens out. And you see this pattern repeat all over the financial monetary landscape. So the journal was right to, to finger it, to describe and to say, hey, this stuff is going on offshore, but then wrong to say that's because of easy money policies, because the data shows you conclusively that it's not easy money. It's the opposite. Uh, let's go to the tick data, one that I use all the time, the tick blue, which is US bank claims on foreign, uh, foreign counterparts in short-term liquid liabilities, which is essentially US banks lending dollars to their offshore counterparts. There's also a corresponding offshore to onshore lending, but just quickly, let's do the math here. When you look at the tick, US, US banks lending offshore in US dollars, up until 2008, again, 13% per year. After 2008, it's actually, well, the, I'm kind of cherry picking here just to make it a positive rate of return. It's 0.9% per year. But if you actually go from the high point in 2008 to the current data, it's basically exactly same, flat. But either way, the pattern is exactly the same. You have geometric growth beforehand up until 2008, and then suddenly not. Not easy money, the opposite of easy money. And you can continue to do this with any number of monetary data or economic data. You can do bank balance sheets. You can do GDP. What you see is exactly the same. You have one rate of growth that is usually much substantially higher until you get to 2008. And then the rate of change after 2008 is substantially lower. It cannot have been easy money. Where did the easy money go? I don't know. Oh, it's in the stock market. That's a topic for another discussion. It did not get into the real economy, which is the point of our discussion here. Regardless of whether stock prices, asset price, all that other stuff, money and credit were not created at the same rate after 2008. Now, the Fed's balance sheet exploded, which is what everybody sees, and interest rates went down, another thing that people see, but nobody knows how to interpret the context of both of those things, especially when the Wall Street editorial board continues to tell you about these easy money policies that, that don't check out in terms of the actual evidence. Now, let's, let's, let's bring this up to the Z1 data. As I said, the Federal Reserve reported the Z1 statistics last Friday up until the third quarter. And guess what you see when you put when you look at the Z1 data? We're going to talk about here 
the to the total monitor the total financial assets of U.S. depository institutions, which U.S. depository institutions now include not just savings uh, and thrifts, but also what we used to call commercial banks under a separate category. They're all put together as deposits. So basically the entire domestic banking system. And sure enough, you look at in, in the fourth quarter of 2007, so at the end of 2007, depository institutions reported $13.2 trillion in total financial assets. At the, the latest data, the third quarter of 2022, that number has increased to 25.5 trillion. So nearly double. Obviously, that's there's your easy money, right? The Fed easy money, depository institutions, what's nuts. They doubled the size of their balance sheets over the last 15 years. But you do the math again, it works out to about 4.5% per year compounded. So between 20, 2007 in 2022, about four and a half percent. But you look back at the 15 years, or in this, I'm going to do the math to be consistent with the BIS derivative data. So I'm just looking from 1998 to 2008. Depository institution balance sheets were growing at eight percent per year, from eight percent down to four and a half percent, and that's over a 15-year period, whereas a very long time prior to the crisis too. So once again, much quicker growth up until 2008 much less growth thereafter. And the big one here, which actually relates more closely, aligns more closely to the 80 trillion in BIS derivatives, is something called ROW, or rest of world. Another part of, another facet, another angle on the credit system, the U.S. economy, also the, US, uh, the global monetary system, is that the United States gets a ton of its credit from the rest of the world, which only makes sense when you consider the context of that 80 trillion. This massive offshore US dollar system, of course, a lot of this offshore, although a lot of those offshore dollars are going to be lent onshore because uh, offshore dollar providers are looking for returns everywhere, inside the US as well as outside it. And up and you know, from the over the last 30, 40 years, this Offshore to onshore credit lending has played a huge part in overall credit and debt availability to American citizens, companies, entities, governments, whatever the case may be, especially the federal government. Let's do the math again. Between uh, from the end of 2007, uh, at the end of 2007, the Z1 data tells us that rest of world. Uh, lending into the United States. So these are just credit market assets, which is really just the Z or the ROW total minus the equities, mutual funds, and investment as well as foreign direct investment. So just credit market assets that are owned by the rest of the world lent to the United States was 9.2 trillion at the end of 2007, re rising to 18.3 trillion as of the latest data. So again, looks like a massive increase. But when you do the math, 4.75% 4, 4 per year, 2007 to 2022. And between two, 1998 and 2008, again, 13% per year. Much, much faster growth before 2008 than after, which tells us something very important about what's going on. It's not easy money. It's the opposite. What really happens what really happened is that 2008 represented a breakdown in the monetary system, a deflationary event that the Fed responded to with policies that everyone calls easy money. 
So those policies are a response to the, de the actual deflationary conditions. And because 2008 was not a one-off event, it was a structural change in the character of the euro dollar system, the Fed has constantly responded to this deflationary monetary condition with what it calls easy money, leading the Wall Street Journal to confuse one thing for the other. So we have a breakdown in the monetary system over the last 15 years, which has caused the Fed to continuously do these easy money policies that are not easy money. They're the opposite. The money itself has been tight. And speaking of tight money, what the Z1 data actually showed us for 2022 is both confirming and alarming. Bank, ass bank assets, so just the depository institutions inside the United States, they're down slightly since the peak in 2021, which means the domestic banking system is modestly de-risking. And they're modestly de-risking by selling GSC debt, U.S. Treasuries, corporate bonds, and things like that. They're even replacing GSE bonds with actual lending in the mortgage market. But the point here, U.S. banks are de-risking modestly in 2022. How about ROW? ROW credit market assets, so outside the U.S., inside, lending inside, have fallen by 5% since the fourth quarter of 2021. That's not a good sign for the U.S. economy, but more importantly, it tells us something specific and something, again, alarming about outside the U.S. Money and credit is contracting outside the United States. It has nothing to do with the Fed, which is consistent with pretty much everything that we've seen over the last nine months or so. Remember, this is the first three quarters of 2022. What we've seen in markets, what we've seen in collateral, what we've seen in derivatives. So when you look at the actual context of the monetary system, everything that you, well, most of what you've been told up to now, completely wrong. There was not easy money policies over the last 15 years. Those policies were simply a response to what's going on. And what's going on in 2022 is an amplified and heightened deflationary impulse, which will lead to more easy money policies. There's your yield curve inversion. There's your euro dollar futures inversion because the marketplace and the monetary system know where this all ends because we've been living through it repeatedly the last 15 years. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. As always, thank you. Huge thank you to Eurodollar University members, as well as all the research subscribers, Daily Briefing, Markets Insider Pro, and the Deep Dive Analysis, Information, Eurodollar.University. Until next time, take care.